So when they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And Father, we just humbly ask for the help of your Holy Spirit, Lord, as we now continue to worship by opening the word of God together. We ask that you would prepare us, that Lord, each one of us could hear your voice speaking to our heart that which we need to hear from you. So please, Lord, prepare us and speak to us now by your Spirit's ministry. We ask this together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, what does it take to powerfully change a person's heart or a person's mind? It is perhaps maybe we might think the need of a persuasive argument to be able to convince them or maybe for someone to convince us what is true. So then eventually after a persuasive argument, maybe if we persuade them, they'll give in. Or maybe if somebody persuades us, we'll give in. Or maybe another way we might say is through personal research, that we've got to gather enough evidence and make sure that we have got all the facts to logically conclude this is indeed right. Or this, okay, now I see it, this is indeed true. And though those things may have some benefit, I think, to maybe help in the process of change, I don't think any of those things compare to the life-changing experience of being confronted with the first-hand reality of something when you see it and experience it for yourself. When you experience something yourself, It's undismissible, the reality that it's true. And that really is what we see happening, we notice, in our passage. Jesus here reveals himself to be alive out from among the realm of the dead. And this has a powerful impact upon those who have this firsthand experience. Warren Wiersbe, who's a great Bible commentator of old, said, whenever people were confronted with the reality of the resurrection, that is that Jesus is again alive from the dead. Whenever people were confronted with the reality of the resurrection, their lives were radically transformed. And the same is just as true today as well as just as important for today. It's essential that we not only believe and know that Jesus died on the cross to take punishment for our sins as we celebrated Friday, 
But we must also be fully assured that Jesus came back to life from among the realm of the dead and that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. You know, throughout Jesus's earthly ministry, he kept telling his disciples, his followers, what his intentions were and what he had come to do. Matthew 20 tells us this, that Jesus declared, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and mock and scourge him and crucify him. And the third day he will rise again. So the Bible teaches to us that the son of God came to this earth, taking a second nature, a human nature, the eternal ever existent son there at the throne of God entered into this realm, took a second nature, a human nature and became a man, allowing him to both remain fully God and at the same time be fully man at the exact same time. God deposited miraculously by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, the life of his son in the womb of a virgin woman. That Jesus might live fully God and fully man to be able to build a bridge as a mediator between holy God and weak and broken and sinful humanity, which you and I are. That he might be able to provide an opportunity for us to have relationship with God once again, because that was lost in the Garden of Eden when sin entered this world with the first two human beings of which we all have inherited the same thing from Adam and Eve. There are many differences among us, but the one universal thing we all share is that we are all born broken people with a sinful nature that's inclined towards doing what's wrong. That's why it comes so naturally. Any of us who've raised these glorious, beautiful little children, you don't have to teach them how to do what's wrong, right? They just kind of know how to do that pretty well. They naturally are bent towards what's wrong because we are born sinful from nature. So Jesus entered into this world to live as a man, the sinless, perfect life that we could never live, to satisfy the righteous requirement of heaven, to have access into God's heavenly existence, and then to die as a substitute in our place. The one who was sinless died upon the cross and took all the pain and punishment for our sin in our place that he might allow us to be set free from the punishment we deserve for the guilt of our sins. And then, of course, three days later, as we celebrate this morning, Jesus would rise back from among the realm of the dead. He would overcome the death process and defeat the power of Satan and sin from ruling over us that he could offer to us hope beyond the grave, because that is something one day we all will face. It's appointed for every man to die. Once, the Bible says, and to face judgment. And we truly don't even know how to live until we know how to die. And that we understand that that is an appointment that we cannot escape that will come into our lives. And so Jesus, in defeating the power of death, gives hope for us that if we receive his gift of eternal life, we can be assured that after death, we will enter into the eternal heaven of God and be there with him forever. And of course, Jesus in his resurrection also defeated the power of sin to rule over our lives. He defeated the power of Satan to destroy our lives. And Jesus being alive offers to all of us who come to him and receive him the opportunity to have living relationship with God, not a religious routine, 
not rules and rituals of what is spiritual life, but the blessed experience of a real relationship with God through a living person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's our mediator between him and his father in heaven. And he guides our life and helps us. And the wonderful thing is to those of us who are Christians, we know the reality is, is that Jesus is just as alive next Sunday. And right, so we celebrate today's resurrection, but we enjoy every single day that Jesus is alive. That we're not just doing religious rituals, but we have a living, real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he has done for us. Now, early on that first Sunday, the third day after Jesus rose from the dead, personal reports were circulating among the people in that day that had visited the tomb and found that massive stone rolled away. And that Jesus' physical body was no longer inside of that tomb where he was buried at. And all four gospel accounts describe how multiple eyewitnesses were coming back and sharing word of this. And even how angelic messengers there at the empty tomb had testified to them these words. The angelic messengers would say to those who would come looking into the empty tomb, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? You seek Jesus who was crucified. That is, he was crucified for your sins. He did die and was buried. Yet they said, he is not here for he is risen. Just as he said. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And he said, I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take my life back up again. And he did exactly what he said. He rose again from the power of death. And as this good news was circulating of the buried body of Jesus being absent from the tomb and Jesus repeatedly showing up and having these appearances where he would speak with people and reveal he was alive, some joyfully believed. Others were perplexed and confused. And Jesus was trying to prove and validate that he was alive. And Luke 24 records for us Some of these appearances, as Jesus made many appearances for a 40-day span before he ascended back into heaven after he rose from the dead and went back to where he was at the heavenly throne. And prior to this section we're looking at, Jesus has just revealed himself to two men on an Emmaus road. And he revealed himself to them. He gave them an encounter with his living, resurrected life. He spoke to them. He enlightened them to the reality that indeed it was him alive from the dead. And they were filled with enthusiasm and they want to share that experience. And as we look here, if you look with me, back with me in our text in verse 33, it tells us, so they rose up. Now that's describing those two men who had just met the resurrected Jesus on the road. Verse 33, they rose up that very hour and returned back to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. So notice it says, these two men who just had a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus in his glorified body, as they enthusiastically rushed back to Jerusalem to go tell others about this, it tells us, verse 33, that we, they found the believers. Notice there, verse 33, it says the believers were there gathered together. They found them assembled together. Notice from the very beginning, where do we find Jesus' followers? Gathered together, assembled together. 
John chapter 20 tells us they were also fearful of the Jews, that is, of the consequences that could come upon their lives. Because remember, their master, their Lord Jesus, had just been arrested as a criminal, and they are his followers. And so they're fearful of their association with Jesus. But nonetheless, though they're fearful of being arrested or put to death themselves, they're gathered together at this point in connection with sharing and loving Jesus And the harshness of the world system was almost being something that was used to force them to assemble together and to be together that they might mutually encourage one another as a spiritual family and inspire and support one another. And look, folks, it is so essential to realize this is what Jesus followers were doing then. And this is what Jesus's followers need to be doing now. Gathering together assembling together to mutually encourage and inspire one another because it's a difficult world out there. And it's not going to get easier, right? The forecast from the word of God is that things don't get better as the world winds down, the world gets worse. And that's why the Bible says we should not neglect the assembling of ourselves together, but all the more as we see the day approaching because we need the mutual encouragement and inspiration and body life as the family of believers to keep encouraging one another to live in this hard world and to be faithful to Jesus. Well, it tells us, verse 33, that when they arrived to share this testimony, Look what it goes on to say. Verse 34, they started speaking, saying to those gathered, the Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. And they told them about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So as they show up, their souls are enthused. They've seen Jesus themselves. And right away, as they find the believers gathered together, they start saying, it's true. It's true. He's indeed alive. We saw it for ourselves now. The reports of people telling us that they saw the empty tomb and others who were circulating reports that had an experience with Jesus, Mary Magdalene. They even mentioned here, even Peter himself saw Jesus firsthand, asked Peter. And so they're kind of sharing this exciting news. He is risen from the dead. It's true. They recount what happened on the road, they say, as Jesus approached them on the road. And if you just glance back up in verse 26 of our chapter, we're told that when Jesus encountered these two men on the road, verse 26, he said to them, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning at Moses and the prophets, that is the Old Testament scriptures, he expounded in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus gave these two men a Bible study and was kind of helping them work through their doubts and their confusion. And he was using the Old Testament scriptures, over 300 plus prophecies, predictions from the Old Testament, all about the life, the ministry, the the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus took them through this Bible study, showing them how the word of God pointed to him, pointed to him, pointed to him, pointed to him. And again, which, which reminds us, that Jesus was trying to get them to understand that the word of God is not just a a book of rules and rituals. It is a book to reveal a person, the person of Jesus, that we might come to know him and have an experience with him. And they said, these are the things that he spoke. And they said, and we came to know him. Look at verse 30. We recognized it was him in the breaking of bread. In some ways, Jesus broke the bread. The Bible tells us as he was breaking the bread, 
there in verse 30, it tells us, as he broke it and gave it to them, verse 31 says, their eyes were then opened and they knew, that is, they recognized that indeed is him. And then he vanished from their sight. So this is what's happened. Jesus would reveal himself. And now because he's in a glorified body, he would then periodically appear and then he would just instantly disappear because he's now in that resurrected, glorified body. So here these two men are, they're sharing testimony of their own experience. He's alive, it's true, he's alive, it's true. And then look with me what happens in verse 36. As they're sharing the story, it says, verse 36, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. So as they're sharing testimony of their experience, their hearts are being stirred And now we get a record again here of another personal appearance of Jesus in his glorified and resurrected body as they're talking about the Lord. I think as Jesus just shows up in this moment once again, as they're talking about the Lord, my personal conviction, I think Jesus is right there in the midst, purposely allowing them not to recognize at that moment. And he's just listening to the conversation. And he's just listening to them tell about their experience on the road. And then verse 36 tells us that literally out of nowhere, he just steps from out of the spiritual dimension into the physical realm and appears to them in that moment. He somehow just appears and shows up in the room. It says, as they're talking, Jesus stood in the midst. Now, John chapter 20 tells us that in that upper room they were in, it says that the doors were shut for fear of the Jews. Now, this is important to recognize. That means Jesus didn't come through a door. He didn't climb in a window. What happened as they were assembled together in that room, he just instantaneously passed from the spiritual realm, which the natural eye does not behold, and he just stepped from the spiritual and eternal realm right into the physical temporal realm, right into their midst in that moment. And it seems that in this glorified body, there is this capacity to pass right through the doorway that somehow connects the spiritual realm to the physical or the temporal material realm. And Jesus just steps right through that. And notice, if you would, that the spiritual realm and the physical or material realm do coexist at the same time. In fact, sometimes I think, you know, the spiritual realm or we think the eternal realm is like so distant and so far away, it's just... And when the reality is these are two completely different realms in their makeup, but yet they're operating simultaneously and they coexist at the same time. And Jesus appearance in the section shows that these dimensions, the spiritual and the physical, which we're in here, that they do intersect one another. And somehow there's an influence and an effect upon one another. And that at any moment, Jesus who's always involved, not just in the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm, can just intervene and work in any way. But notice as he appears to them, what does he say? Verse 36, he says to them, peace to you. Now, I don't think personally that that is just the typical Hebrew shalom, peace to you, good day, guys. I think given what's happened in the last three days, Jesus was speaking a word of loving assurance into their lives to calm their very concerned and agitated souls, that Jesus, knowing their concerns over what had been going on, his death and the fears and the stress that they were now under, that he's wanting to say to them, peace to you in the sense of it's all okay now. It's all okay. 
Everything has been addressed and resolved. That word peace speaks of tranquility or rest that comes because a war or battle has now ceased. And in a sense, Jesus, no doubt, is conveying to them, listen, yes, there's been a battle between sin and Satan and heaven and hell. But he says, the victory's won. The battle's over. I meant what I said when I said it is finished on the cross. And so therefore, Jesus is saying to his disciples, be at peace, be at rest. Everything has been taken care of. Everything has been resolved. What I accomplished has satisfied the terms for peace between God and mankind. And no doubt Jesus wanted them to be at rest in their souls because the matters of sin and death had been resolved by his work and his death and his resurrection. And I love how Jesus wants to be the one to announce that personally. He shows up and wants to announce this wonderful news that peace is now available for mankind. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter one that it pleased the father in heaven that in all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell in Jesus bodily and to reconcile through Jesus all things unto himself. And so the father did this, the Bible says, Colossians one, having made peace through the blood of his cross. See, as the father allowed his son to be beaten and to be tortured and to be crucified and his blood to be shed, that was satisfying the terms of the peace treaty for sinful humanity. Because the Bible that says the soul that sins shall surely die. Someone has to die for sin. God is a just and a holy God, but God allowed his son to die. His son to be beaten and to be crucified and his blood to be shed because that was what was essential to provide the sinless, perfect, pure blood of Christ to satisfy the peace treaty. That's the terms of the peace treaty. The blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for you and I in love for us. And Jesus works satisfied that. And Jesus wanted people to know that he offered peace to everyone spiritually. That is that people can be at peace with God. That you and I can be at peace with our creator so that when we stand before him, we can know we've made our peace with God. And we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be terrified of the death process. We can face God knowing I am at peace with God. Where does that come from? Well, Romans 5 says this. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So God's made the peace treaty and he's provided the terms. He did everything necessary and he offers us as sinful, broken, guilty people in humanity a peace treaty. And he says, but, but you have to be willing to accept the peace treaty. You have to receive it because see, a peace treaty can be rejected, right? And so God offers us the peace treaty. All we have to do is humble ourselves enough to say, Lord, I don't deserve it and I can't earn it, but thank you that your son has provided it in what he did. And I receive what your son has done for me. And in receiving and believing in what Jesus did, that is how the Bible says we are made at peace with God. It's through Jesus we have access into eternal life. And Jesus here wanted them to know that this was available 
to have peace with God. Now, I no doubt understand as well that Jesus in saying this was also very conscious of the reality, as I mentioned earlier, that his disciples were very troubled at this moment. I mean, think about what they just witnessed with their Lord Jesus, who they had walked with for three years. All the horrible things that happened to him and the anger that was towards him. And no doubt that's why they're hiding away in this upper room at this moment. And there are all types of fears and uncertainties stirring around in the hearts and minds of the disciples at this moment. They feel troubled. They feel concerned about their future. What is going to happen in the future? Yet here's the thing. If Jesus could conquer the powerful enemy of death, this is something that he wanted them to be assured of. If I could conquer your worst enemy, the power of death, I can conquer anything you're concerned about. I have the power to deal with anything that's making you uncertain or, or troubled or worried. And Jesus wanted them to experience his peace experientially within their hearts as well to know that they could be at peace despite the earthly hardships. Despite the difficulties, John 16, Jesus declared this. I have told you these things so that in me, that is in relationship with me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, I may be taking a crazy stab here, but I think it's fair to say this world's still got a little bit of trouble going on. I would say this world is in a lot of trouble. And this world is a difficult place. And guess what that does? That makes people fearful and uncertain about their future. And it makes people troubled and anxious and worried and depressed. And look, what Jesus wants us to know is he is a powerful, victorious, conquering Lord who can take care of whatever trouble this world subjects us to. He says, take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome all of that already. And through me, you can overcome it too. Why? Because no matter what happens in this world, at the end of the day, I can know if I'm trusting in Jesus and I'm walking with Jesus, it is well with my soul and I'm getting out of here eventually. And I'm going to conquer sin and death and all these things. And I'm going to be with my Lord and glory. And so Jesus would say, let that bring peace to you. Let that bring peace to your soul. Now, as Jesus showed up in the room, notice the startled response we read of his disciples as he just steps into the room from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. Verse 37, the Bible's so honest. They were terrified and frightened. That means freaked out terrified and frightened they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit don't you love how honestly the bible records their overwhelmed reaction as jesus followers as he steps into that room now again they're taken very off guard and if we were to honestly just play this out realistically we probably would respond in a very similar way i mean here we are we're just in this room having a church service having a conversation and then all of a sudden poof there's the risen, glorified Jesus Christ standing right in our midst. I think we might be a little freaked out too. 
So the disciples are, I mean, they're startled by this. They don't, are we seeing an apparition? Is this a ghost? So they're, they're a little alarmed and they're caught off guard. But again, I love this because notice Jesus' disciples, they're just figuring things out one step at a time. They don't have all the answers. There's things they're still a little confused about. And spiritual revelation and understanding was a process as they discovered more and more about Jesus and about truth. And that liberates me because how wonderful to know as a follower of Jesus, it is normal to have a process and a journey of understanding more spiritually. And that we don't always have to understand every single thing and know always what the Lord is doing. That it's okay at times to be trying to figure things out. 1 Corinthians 13 says that right now on this earth, we see like through a glass dimly. The idea is right now we see enough that we need to see, but there's always a little bit of detail missing for us. And we don't always understand everything and see everything and have reasons that help us to to know why to everything. We're progressively learning and seeing more and more. Yet as we keep believing and we keep seeking, Jesus said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock, the door will be opened. And here's the glorious thing. When you and I step through the veil in eternity, everything's gonna be clear. And every single question that you wrestled with your whole life long, When you enter into the presence of the Lord and you leave behind this earthly body and you get a glorified body and you enter into the presence of eternity, every question is answered. It's answered. The Bible says around heaven, they're saying righteous and true were all of your ways. Somehow it will all make sense and the dots will connect. And from an eternal perspective, maybe not a temporal, but from an eternal perspective, we will be able to say, I see it now, Lord. From eternity's view, that was the right thing to allow to unfold on the earth. And what a wonderful thing that though we don't see all now to know like the disciples, it's okay. We can wrestle. We can be confused. But look with me at verse 38, what Jesus says as they're startled and kind of a little bit freaked out. He said to them, why are you troubled? Verse 38. And why did doubts arise in your heart. So Jesus asked questions to identify he could see they were struggling. He could tell they were wrestling within. He knew they were troubled. He knew that doubts and concerns were arising in their hearts. And as we've been saying, they were troubled about numerous things. There was numerous things that were causing them to be a little bit perplexed. They were dealing with things like disappointment. They were facing unplanned things, new challenges. Jesus is leaving. He's going back to heaven. They're confused that things turned out a little differently than what maybe they were thinking all along. And they were so certain for those three years, maybe that was just going to last forever. And now they're facing a new reality of things didn't turn out the way we thought. It didn't unfold the way that we expected. And so they're wrestling through these things. There are fears of the unknown and concerns of how to go forward and what's next. And as a result, that fear and confusion caused them to start to feel, it says here, troubled. And even to struggle a little bit with doubts. And to not fully understand as they wrestled with confusion and doubt. And on top of that, Jesus has just done something on top of that that they didn't expect either. He just popped into the room. So he totally caught them off guard. What is this and what is he doing? And so they're wrestling through all these things. And and it's just a reminder to me as well that oftentimes when we in this life go through hard things, right? And we will. When we in this life 
are going down a journey and then all of a sudden it doesn't turn out the way that we thought it was going to turn out. And this unexpected thing or this major detour, this shift or this event happens that we had no control over. And this isn't what I was planning for. Or this isn't the way I thought this was going to unfold. Or I didn't think this was not going to work out. And all of a sudden we find ourselves wrestling and struggling with troubled hearts and doubts within ourselves and wrestling. Or maybe sometimes the Lord is just working in a way like when he popped up in that room and what is going on? And what? Sometimes the Lord just starts abruptly doing things and we have no idea. Lord, what are you doing here? I wasn't expecting this to happen. And the Lord just starts doing something without asking our permission. Does that to me once in a while. I don't know about you. And you, look, I, you didn't ask my permission to do this. And all of a sudden, the Lord's now working. And maybe we don't fully understand abruptly what he started doing. And we're kind of caught off guard. And just like the disciples, we start to find ourselves maybe troubled and hard and dealing with doubts. And maybe Jesus would ask us this morning, why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? Why are you letting doubt overwhelm your heart i think jesus asked that not to indict them because he wants to encourage them to say to them you don't have to be troubled it's okay i'm still in control and you don't have to doubt just because you don't understand it you don't have to doubt he wants us to know his love and his power and to trust he's in control and to believe that he who has the power to conquer sin and satan and death can conquer anything that we're facing that maybe we didn't plan for or that's making us troubled or concerned or worried about the future. And he will do whatever it takes to orchestrate what is best for you. You know, as I read this story, it calls me to call to mind that time where Jesus and his disciples, he said, let's launch out into the water. And he took them out into the middle of a water. And it tells us, remember, that an abrupt storm came upon their lives. And as this abrupt storm came upon the Sea of Galilee, it says they were terrified and struggling and straining, and they felt like they were sinking. They were, well, that's it. We are going down. We are not going to make it. Now, did Jesus accidentally forget to check the weather app on his phone? Oh, Peter, James, John, you guys are fishermen. I thought you were going to check your weather app. Sorry, I had no idea that a storm was going to be abruptly confronting us. No. They were right in the center of the will of God. And yet they were encountered by an abrupt, severe, crazy storm, something they never expected that was causing them to be afraid, to struggle, to feel like maybe they weren't even going to make it and they were going to sink. And as they were struggling and doubting, and they, Lord, don't you care what's going on? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said in the midst of that, it is I. Don't be afraid. Didn't God create the heavens and the earth? Perhaps Jesus was saying, I allowed the storm to come. And you don't have to be afraid. As long as you stay on board with me in this boat and don't abandon ship, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through the storm and get to the other side. And I love Jesus here somewhat saying to his disciples in the midst of this, why do doubts and troubles arise in your hearts? He's saying, I'm at work even in the midst of these things. They don't trouble me. Don't let them trouble you. And Jesus could see they were struggling to understand what was happening. So he wanted to help them. So look what he does, verse 39. It says, he said to them, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me 
see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So Jesus wants the disciples to realize what? As they're freaked out, this is really him. It's not a phantom. It's not an apparition of Jesus. He wants them to recognize and to know that he is there in, he says, behold, it's I, myself. He's saying, guys, it's really me. It's really me. I'm right here in your midst. It is me together with you. I'm standing here and notice Jesus resurrected and glorified body was literal and tangible and material because Jesus in this moment appears to them and somehow he's somewhat, you might say, in the same body in which he was buried in in death, yet it has been resurrected, glorified, and transformed, and now it's in a completely different state or composition. But he's bearing the same identity that he had in his natural human body. His glorified body has that same identity, and literally he's saying to them, touch, behold, he's saying, my hands, my feet. What were in his hands and his feet? The wounds of his suffering. Why did Jesus want them to see his hands and his feet? He wanted them to be assured. See these wounds? That's how much I love you. See these wounds? It's okay. Your sin's all going to be forgiven. I took care of that. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 5 that in the midst of God's throne, that Jesus is still bearing the scars of his suffering. And so in some way, for all of eternity, as we look to the glorified Jesus on the throne there in heaven, we continually see the marks of his suffering in his crucifixion to assure us of his love and his forgiveness and what was done for us. And Jesus reveals the nail holes. He says, touch me. And the language seems to indicate that they complied, that they checked. Okay, if you're offering. It's me. My my, my literal body is in, in your midst here. And notice Jesus in this encounter is wanting them to see that he has a physical existence in his glorified body. He says to them there in verse 39, remember, he says, guys, a spirit, look what he says, a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see I have. Notice the glorified body, the eternal body is not a blood drive system. The Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's this natural physical body meant for this earth. Apparently, the glorified body, the spiritual eternal body that Jesus bears here, it's not a blood drive system. It's a spirit drive system. He says, I have flesh and bone, tangible, physical. But he says, it's a spiritual eternal body with a literal physical frame. It seems the natural body is transformed. And look, the Bible teaches that as believers, we as well will inherit glorified bodies just like our Lord Jesus had. That we will in a similar way, the Bible speaks at length of our glorified resurrected body that's eternal, that we'll inherit, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, give lengthy descriptions of that. 1 John 3, 2, he says, beloved, now we're children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. In Colossians 3, or excuse me, Philippians 3, says, when the Lord Jesus returns from heaven to bring us home to glory, he will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. You and I, the Bible tells us, as followers of Christ, are destined to receive the same glorified eternal body that Jesus has in his resurrected body, which tells us some things of what eternity will be like. Our earthly bodies are for living on this earth. They're designed to function in this realm. 
but somehow this body will be changed and transformed and will have a spiritual body that is intended for the spiritual and the eternal realm in its glorified form. And one thing we know, that glorified body is going to be physical. We're not going to be like ghosts in heaven. Pop up, haven't seen you in so long. Oh, let's try that again for all of eternity. Physical. Is there not a person or two you're looking forward to hugging? People ask sometimes, are we going to recognize each other in heaven? My unbiblical response to that is, do you think you'll be dumber in heaven than you are on earth? That's just common sense. The biblical reality is when Jesus showed up in his glorified body, his identity apparently was very obvious that it was him. And so the Bible seems to be very clear that we will bear the same identity. You're not going to have to search out, well, how old are we going to be? And how am I going to know if that's Bob or Jim? You'll know. You'll know. Somehow the identity will be born and there will be this physical frame. And for all of eternity, there will be hugs and high fives and celebration and literal interaction. But yet there's going to be some amazing capacities in this glorified body. When we look at Jesus' glorified body, it is what we one day are going to experience as well. In fact, one of the neat capacities, look what happens verse 40. As they're struggling, it says, when he had said this, verse 40, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they did not believe for joy, the idea is they were so overjoyed, they just were so overwhelmed. Jesus, it says, said to them, have you any food here? And they said, yes, we have breakfast burritos. It's Easter. That was very fitting for this morning. I worked on that all week long. I went to know. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. How practical can you get? I want you to see I'm not a ghost. Watch the food go in. It wasn't like, that. oh, there it goes. It fell on the floor. It, it went in. So apparently the glorified body is also going to include the capability to eat food. But here's the good news. No calorie watching. You don't have to care if it's organic or processed or anything else. It's just, it's just you're going to eat for enjoyment, right? Just sheer enjoyment as a part of the glories of heaven. Look, what a wonderful biblical record here of Jesus appearing to those gathered, giving them an experience with his risen life, validating to them in an experiential way, I am real, I am alive, and speaking to them exactly what they needed to hear at that moment in their life, reinforcing their faith. You can sense Jesus as he's saying these things to them, saying, behold and consider, it's all real. It's real. The spiritual, the eternal, it's real, guys, he's saying. I'm right here. Heaven is just as real, Jesus is saying, as everything you're seeing right here with your eyes on earth. Jesus is saying it is real, just as real. And so he's saying, you don't have to be troubled. Be at peace. Rejoice. You know, I can't help but to think that the heart of Jesus has not changed, that he wants to reveal spiritual realities to us that we might know today in 2022. It's all real. It's real. 
the spiritual, the eternal realm, those realities, they are just as real as everything physical in this realm. In fact, I'll tell you something, it's more real. It's more concrete. It is more credible and reliable because the Bible says all of this is going to burn up and go away. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, speaking of the removal of those things that can be shaken, that is the physical created realm, so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Look, how wonderful to know and to have Jesus convey to our heart to assure us it's real. It's real. You know, Thomas wasn't there apparently on this occasion when Jesus did this. And John 20 tells us that Thomas the next week was there and he was struggling with his faith because he wasn't at church the prior week. Just a little heads up. And next Sunday we're having church again. Beyond Easter. If you're mad, you'll come back by Christmas. No, I'm just kidding. That's just that's a holiday joke. Jesus said, look, it's real. The disciples are telling Thomas because he wasn't there. It tells us, Thomas, we saw him. What did Thomas say? Remember, Thomas said, unless I see the nails in his hands and the holes in his feet, I will not believe. I need some evidence. I need some assurance. The next week, Thomas is there at the meeting. He's not going to miss because he heard something great happen last week. He's there. What does Jesus do? He steps out of the eternal dimension again just for Thomas. And he says, Thomas, here you go. Heard you want to touch me. Heard you want to see it for yourself. How gracious and compassionate is that? Because see, Jesus was there listening the whole time while Thomas was saying, unless I see for myself, I'm not believing this stuff. And so Jesus the next week said, here you go. Here you go. I want you to believe. Please believe. See, it's real. Reach your finger, he said, Thomas. Put your hand into my wounds. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. And what did Thomas do? He fell on his face and he said, my Lord and my God. And he said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who've not seen, but yet they still choose to believe. No doubt one of the things Jesus was teaching his disciples in the midst of these things is he would appear and disappear and appear and disappear. I think one of the things he was trying to convey to his disciples is that just because you're not seeing me with the physical eye doesn't mean I'm not directly involved in what's going on in your life. And I can step in at any moment and help at any moment. And what Jesus wants for Thomas and for you and I and for all of us is that we would simply believe. And experience the blessing of believing. Look, if you're a Christian this morning, is it not a blessing to come to church on Easter Sunday or Christmas believing it's all true? And not just because it's the traditional thing, for, right? but to come. I remember the first Christmas after I got saved, when I accepted Jesus, my Savior and Lord. I remember the first Easter and showing up. And, like, what? This is real, man. He's alive. He, and And... Believing there's that blessing that comes with that. Look, if you're here this morning and you've not yet chosen to believe Jesus loves you, that's why you're here today. Like Thomas, that's why he got you here today. So that he can say to you, please believe. I've done everything necessary. Would you please believe it for yourself so that you can have the blessing of the forgiveness of your sins, to know you're at peace with your God, that you're ready for eternity and so that you can experience 
this wonderful thing of a relationship, a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ.